This passage of scripture that was read in your hearing is perhaps the greatest text in the Bible on comfort, the comfort uh, that comes to God's people. And not only that, but it also helps us to understand what God is doing uh, in affliction. What is, uh, what is his purpose as the sovereign king and ruler of the entire earth when he does bring affliction and suffering to his people? Why does he do it? And the uh, answers here really are quite clear. And uh, we, we should pay attention to them and take heed of them. Uh, this text uh, comes, uh, of course, at the beginning of this letter of Paul uh, to the Corinthians. We call it 2 Corinthians, but it's probably the third letter uh, that he wrote to them. And uh, he had paid a visit to them, and it was not a pleasant visit. And so, uh, and then he hears by way of others uh, that the church is uh, being torn about and being somewhat disrupted by the Judaizers who, who had come in, uh, so-called super apostles, and were uh, seeking to sort of turn the people away from uh, the purity of the gospel and even from listening to Paul himself. And so he has to write this letter, uh, and he's, uh, he's in some sense apologetic uh, because of the personal nature of it. And he tells them uh, often, uh, several times in the letter, about things that he has endured for the sake of the gospel. That's very unlike the apostle to sort of uh, defend himself in that way. And yet uh, that's what the letter really is full of. And what he had gained and what he had learned uh, from the Lord uh, himself about suffering he wanted to impart so he was not simply defending himself but as a good minister of the gospel he was seeking to help uh, this uh, group of folks this church that was in Corinth and he was seeking to comfort them to bring them uh, along with great comfort and we need to understand what the Bible means by comfort uh, we tend to think comfort uh, is like having uh, air conditioning on a hot summer day or uh, heat in the cold of winter or perhaps it's a, a good salary, a sort of comfortable lifestyle, a comfortable living. Uh, but the Bible doesn't really speak of comfort in that way. Actually, the word itself uh, literally means with strength, with strength. Uh, the, uh, it's the idea of being strengthened and strengthened to actually carry on, uh, strengthened to persevere, strengthened uh, to uh, witness, strength to evangelize, and so forth. And Paul uses the, the word uh, a few times in 2 Corinthians to talk about the, how the Lord had comforted him by the coming of a friend someone who strengthened him and encouraged him. He talks about being encouraged even, comforted uh, by the Lord's uh, speaking to him when he was tempted to leave Corinth uh, from the, at the very beginning. You remember he ran into trouble there in Corinth, the early days. We can, you can go to Acts chapter 18 for this. I won't read through that. 
but uh, he had uh, been uh, tempted to, to leave because of the trouble that was there. And the Lord appeared to him, uh, spoke to him uh, in a vision, and told him, said, no, don't leave, hang in there, keep going. I have many people in this place. That's in Acts 18. It's one of the great uh, promises uh, that, that uh, encourages evangelists and preachers and missionaries in the work that they do is knowing that God has his people there and uh, to keep on going. So the, the idea of comfort uh, is, is not an American idea of comfort. It's a, it's a Bible view of comfort, and that is the strength to carry on, the strength to do what the Lord has told us to do is the, 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 uh, his, his will. And so uh, we need to understand that first. What I wanted to talk about today are these 11 verses and uh, uh, to begin uh, with, with talking a little bit about a, a Christian view of life, a sort of Christian worldview. I know that, world, that word is uh, thrown about a bit, but how, how do we look at life? How do we think about uh, life? I want to talk about that first, and really it's in those first two verses. And then something about who God is, the character of God. That's a huge subject. We're only going to trace a little bit of it uh, today, what is revealed to us in this passage about God himself, his character, and so forth. And then uh, what will take most of our time is uh, God's purposes in affliction. What is God up to when he sins suffering, affliction, hardship, uh, the, uh, the way of the Lord's people, okay? Now, we have a tendency when we're reading uh, the letters in the Bible, uh, maybe you don't have this tendency, but, but maybe I do, so I'm thinking you do, uh, to sort of read over these greetings and to kind of say, let's get to the meat of things. But there's plenty of meat in this greeting. In fact, what we have in this greeting in these first two verses is really a Christian view of life. For, for the Apostle Paul, everything was about God and seeing himself as God's man, seeing himself as belonging to God. Uh, America uh, is probably true in many, many places. Uh, the, 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 what the fall has done uh, to us, it, it, it kind of makes us think that we're somehow independent. We, we, we've, we've cast off the idea that God is my maker, God is my creator, and if we're Christians, I've been drawn into covenant with God himself. I don't belong to myself. If you're not a Christian today, that's true of you as well. You do not belong to yourself. You are a dependent being. You've been created uh, in the image of God, and you are fallen, and, but, but still, you are under God's care. Uh, you, you're never independent. We, we love, as Americans, our independence and uh, our freedoms to do this or that or the other thing, but we are never free from God. We are always under God. We are under him. We, we are, and particularly if we're Christians, we're his people, we are, we are his servants. We, 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 we do, by God's grace, his bidding. 
And so we never think of anything sort of outside of that, outside of that notion that we belong to him. It's very important, particularly in terms of crisis or times of crisis, to think I'm not alone. I do not belong to myself. It is not up to me. It's up to him, right? To see ourselves in that way. And 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 Paul does that in these first two, two verses, it seems to me. Listen, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was not a self-appointed preacher. He was an apostle, a, a sent one, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, who was not an apostle and yet was an accompanying minister of the gospel, we could say, Timothy, a minister by the will of God, because he includes Timothy, uh, not as an apostle, but as a minister. Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, the church that belongs to God, the church that is God's possession, the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. This was a letter that was meant to be sent out, uh, not to one place, but to many places, but they're all of them saints. How do you become a saint? Well, put on the hair suit and, you know, I, uh, I do good things. No, you're a saint because you have been separated unto God. That's the, that's the first meaning of what it means to be a saint. It doesn't, mean, doesn't have to do, at first anyway, with your moral, ethical character it has to do with what God has done for you. He's taken you out of this realm, and he's put you into another. You are in the kingdom of darkness, and he has taken you out. He has separated you unto himself. You are a vessel fit for honor, right? And you belong to him. That's the, that's the idea with all the saints. There are those who have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven, and they've been placed into the church of God uh, as his people, as his force, so to speak, in the world. Uh, but it's very God-centered, isn't it? With all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God. That's what's come to you. It's come to you from God. If there is grace in your life, grace to believe, it has come to you from God. Paul says in Romans 3 that faith is the gift of God. He called you out. He, he uh, enabled you to believe in him. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God made you alive. And grace has come to you, and it has come to you from God, a gift from God, and peace now with him. That is the biggest problem of human life as we come into the world is enmity against God. If you're not a Christian, this is where you are right now. You're estranged from God. You're separated from God. And you may not do this uh, ordinarily or even physically, but, but you're opposed to him. The, the, the idea of coming in humble submission before God 
does not appeal to you, you're, a, you're an enemy. You're an enemy of God. And you need to be at peace with him. And he offers peace by the blood of his cross. That peace comes from God. It doesn't come from us to God. We don't offer something to him in order that he would be at peace with us. No, he's come down in the Lord Jesus Christ and made peace with God by the blood of Christ. That is a Christian view of life. We, we live our whole lives this way. And when troubles come, when afflictions come, when sufferings come, the first thing I need to think about is this is coming to me from God. I belong to him. I am not independent. There's not a person in this room who is independent of God, right? Even if you're an unbeliever, you're not independent. But if you're a believer, you have a gracious dependence where Paul could say later on in this letter, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, right? Because he's with God. He's in Christ. And that's where his strength comes from. The world will tell you, give you a lot of counterfeits for comfort. The world will come to you and say, this is where your comfort is going to come from. Your comfort is going to come from drink, or your comfort is going to come from maybe a person, a wife, a husband. Your comfort is going to come from your children. Your comfort is going to come from your job. Your comfort is going to, your comfort comes from God because you belong to him, right? You're a creature. Uh, no independence. Let's just chunk that right out of the way. There's no such thing as being independent of God. We need him. We depend upon him. All of our life centered upon God himself. And what happens to me as a believer happens to me as a child of the covenant mercies of God a child of faith, a son, a son. And that helps me. It helps me to think through the, all of the issues of life, okay? So God at the center is a Christian worldview. Secondly, what we see in these verses uh, here is this amazing God who has called us to himself. And Paul describes him this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he says that. It's not just God. It's not just God, but he's the Father. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have been united, he becomes our Father too. There is a sense... In the Old Testament, we'll speak of this from time to time, uh, that, 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 the father, that, that God is the father of all living. But it's really just kind of a figure of speech. Uh, he, he is the father of his people. He has become our father. Abba, is, uh, uh, Paul spoke in Romans about the adoption that has come to us. This is who we are. This is who we're in dependence upon this is who we're we're under so to speak this one who is the father of mercies and the god of all comfort notice that little 
that little, uh, well, first, the Father of mercies. You know what a mercy is? Mercy looks upon trouble. Mercy looks upon hardship. It's a little different from grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. But mercy basically looks on what sin has done to us. That's important that we understand that, that God sees what sin has done to us. He, he sees what our situation is, what our peril is. And, and, and yet he's the father of mercies. The mercies that have come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ have come to us from God himself. We cannot put this uh, sort of a difference and put God over here and Jesus over here, and somehow there's a difference or a disconnect. He's the God of the Old Testament, and here's Jesus of the New. Throw that out of your minds. It has nothing to do with the Bible itself. Jesus is the purest revelation we have, the pure revelation of who God is. If you want to know what God is like, take a good long look at Jesus. He will show you what God is like. We know something about mercy by looking at Jesus Christ, don't we? We see him a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he, he will not snuff out. That's God. You see, that's God. God in the flesh has come down and revealed himself to, to the world, the whole world. We don't have to go looking for him. He's here. He's here. He's among us. You call out to him uh, as, the, as the God of all comfort, the God of all strength. He comes to his people. He's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He encourages his people, strengthens his people in their, in their trouble. Uh, but the character of God is revealed primarily in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was revealed in the Old Testament. Certainly he was. Certainly was as a God of mercy. I mean, it's like, think of those Israelites and their, uh, their, their sin and their disobedience. And God was so patient with them in, in bringing them along and, and, and being uh, kind to them, merciful to them, comforting them. But, oh, the grand display of the character of God is is in Jesus Christ, you see. So he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. But then we want to see this great teaching here about the, the purposes, God's purposes uh, in affliction. And I want to, uh, to tell us, and we can't go to all of these places, but, but uh, notice just in this one passage, these these. Uh, is it eight verses from 3 to 11, how many different words the apostle uses to describe afflictions. He uses the word affliction. He uses the word troubles, suffering, distress, hardships, pressure, despair, a sentence of death, peril. It's always a, he's uh, describing the whole gamut of human distress, of human emotion, human affliction, and human suffering. And he uses more of those words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
verses 7 to 12. You remember uh, those. We've looked at those uh, verses. But there he, he speaks about even perplexity. Are you perplexed about these events? I am. I am perplexed. I don't understand. But yet God comes to the perplexed. And God will not uh, leave us in despair. But all of these words, he, d- he does it again in, in chapter 6. Again, I won't read that, but you can make a note of it and go back and look. And all of the perils that the apostle fell into. It's like he's trying, he's saying in his own life, he has experienced, in a sense, almost all of the things that can come against God's people. And he's doing that because he wants to teach and to comfort God's people that when these things come at you, you will know that they are normal. It's the, it's the normal Christian life to encounter affliction, trouble, suffering, distress. Now, thankfully, that's not our whole life, but it is. It does come, doesn't it? And so he's, he's uh, telling us that in the midst of that, that God's comfort comes. That's what he says, beginning of verse 4, isn't it? Who comforts us in all our affliction. All our affliction. He's the God of all comfort. So the whole uh, waterfront of suffering and affliction, God comforts. God enters in to that. He comforts us in all our affliction. And here's the, here's the first reason for it. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Oh, okay. That the Lord has brought me into something that he is going to perhaps later use, use me even as a channel of comfort to someone else. That's how God's people work. That's how the church of God works. That's how it operates. That's how the comfort comes. The comfort comes from God, but he channels that comfort through often his people. Now, for the Apostle Paul, it pretty much came directly. And he says, I was comforted by God, God himself, so that I could comfort you. You see what he's doing there? He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. He's going to refer to them with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, right? It's, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing in the Christian life that happens to us that's a, just sort of a one-off. You know what I mean by that? It just, it just happened and there's no real re- rhyme or reason to it. No, no. It has come to us so that the, we may take it and find our comfort, our strength in the Lord so that we can then turn to our brother or sister and we can be there 
for them to, to be a comfort to them, a strengthener, right? Not just a pat on the head, but a strengthener, the word of God, the promise of God. And uh, sometimes, as, uh, as Mike mentioned a while ago, sometimes just sitting there, sometimes just sitting there is a comfort. It's a strengthener to know I'm not in this by myself. I'm not independent. I'm dependent upon God. He has shown me that I am dependent upon these people who he's brought to me. For, verse 5, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. That's a, that's, a, some, that's a new part of this, isn't it? Why is it that Christians suffer at all? Because he says, because we're in Christ. It's going to be unavoidable, really, because he suffered. And we are in him. And there's a sense in which we share in those sufferings. Keep your finger here and turn over to Philippians chapter 3. We will read this one. Paul himself, when he was giving his own testimony and talked about who he, who he was and what he gloried in before, you know, confidence in the flesh and so forth. And the, but then he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All your accomplishments in that other life that you lived, everything that you thought was just great, I count it as loss. It's just, and that word loss is a, is a kind of a English uh, uh, putting a bow on it or something. It's really dung. I mean, it's refuse. It's nothing. I've suffered the law. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your King, as your Savior? Paul says, and the Bible says, and I tell you from one who has experienced the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, there is nothing in this life that will take the place that can even measure up to the knowledge of Christ. To know Jesus Christ is the highest privilege of life. And if you go through life without knowing Christ, you've missed the best part of life. This life in this world. You've missed it. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. Because I'm united to him and I believe him and I'm following him. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Paul lost a lot when he became a follower of Christ. He, all of his friends in Judaism, all the people that thought he was something really great, he was at the top of the list. He said, no, I'm following Jesus Christ. I've been called by him, and, and it, he suffered. He suffered for it. I've suffered the loss of all things and but it was no loss. I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That's what the world does is, uh, is kind of hold out 
I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad as the other guy. Uh, I, I, I'm going to justify myself above all. A righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That is just what you're supposed to do. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the great chief grace of life is faith. Faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Then here it is. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Something of the power of Christ's new life, life from the dead. I begin to know something of that in my own experience. That, that is a, there's a kind of death that we, that we can often face. It's sort of low. The Lord takes us down by his, by his mercies to us. But then... We see him. We, we, we come to him. And there's a, there's a kind of resurrection. It's the J-curve all over again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, living the resurrected life. Paul will speak about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says we've, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus may also be seen in us. Right? That's what he's talking about. The power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings that's a part of being united to christ part of the reason we suffer part of the reason we are afflicted is because we are in christ and we share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that's another purpose isn't it going to talk about that a little bit later on in 2 Corinthians 1, but, but that's a part of it, becoming like him. I'm not going to come, become like him in any other way than the, what the Lord has determined is going to be the providences and the circumstances of my life that he is going to use to conform me to the image of Christ. When Paul was at his weakest moment, it was like a uh, uh, it was like a flash <laughs> that, that came to him. In my weakness is his strength. There at the end of 2 Corinthians. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in, the, in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what he's looking for. He's looking to eternity. He's looking past this life, this momentary affliction, light and momentary, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, so that's a, we share abundantly. Back to, uh, back to our passage. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. When you experience when you patiently endure, which you experience, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. When it happens to you, you will know something of what God is doing. And you'll be able to, to bear it. He will strengthen. He will comfort you. Come alongside uh, you when you experience. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a pearl, isn't it? To know that 
that whatever happens to us, it, it really comes to us in a sense from Christ. It comes from God. It's, 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 it's sort of mediated through our Lord Jesus Christ. We share in his suffering. There's a sense in which the, the text there speaks about an overflow. Verse 5, as we share abundantly. It's like, a, it's like we don't get it all that Christ did. Because Christ was forsaken of God, we never shall be. But something of those sufferings of Christ, they, they sort of overflow into the lives of his people. It's a, it's a, it's a neat image, isn't it? Okay, so in order to comfort others, we, we share, we share in his sufferings. We are afflicted, you're comforted. We're comforted, you're comforted. We receive strength from others, right? And we're to give that to others. That is a great aspect of being in the church of Jesus Christ, is that we are privileged to be a comfort to others. Second, verses 8 and 9, just notice this other purpose. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. And we could stop right there and we could go to 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 Corinthians 12 and we could highlight uh, all of those uh, afflictions that he experienced in Asia. I mean, you could write a book uh, about all of those afflictions. I'll let you do that on your own time. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Remember that. Comfort is the strength that God provides. We were burdened beyond our strength. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. That we despaired of life itself. That's, a, that's, that's getting to the bottom, isn't it? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And we don't know when that particular experience occurred in the Apostle Paul's life. There's a lot of you know, comment about that, speculation, but we really just don't know. When was it that the Apostle Paul was so burdened, so suffered, was so afflicted that he almost died. We could have said, well, maybe it was the 40 lashes or maybe it was the shipwreck at sea or maybe it was one of these other things. We just don't know. But he got to the place where he said, it's over. It is over. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the key verse. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the second purpose of affliction. We are ingrained in us as, as fallen creatures, and our, our culture sort of reemphasizes it is that you've got to depend upon yourself. You've got to rely upon yourself. You've got to pull yourself up by your, by your own bootstraps. It's all up to you. It's all about you. It's what you do. And what God does is remind us that we are absolutely dependent upon him. 
that we rely not on ourselves. The Greek is actually very uh, pointed here, that we are to, we are to pause <laughs> at this verse and take it in to ourselves. We, why? Because we always do that. We always rely upon ourselves. Where's the strength? Where's the money? Where's, the, where's this? Where's that? What's it gonna, how's it going to work? How's it going to happen? We've got to really think about this. And yes, all those things are true. We have to, we have to use all of the resources, perhaps, that, that are, but not to rely upon ourselves. And there's places where the Lord will bring his people to the point to say, Lord, I give up. I just give up. And the Lord says, okay, that's right where I want you to be. Somebody asked me the other day, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm overwhelmed. And I feel so inadequate. So inadequate. But you know what? That's the best place to be. So we can look up and we just say, Lord, we need you. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your comfort. We need you to strengthen us. We need you to help us to go on. We can't, we can't live without you. We must have you. To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, that's the resurrection God. That's the God who has entered into this life by the Lord Jesus Christ and actually shown us who he is and what his great power is over everything that might come into the life of a believer, even death. Death is not the victor. Jesus Christ is the victor. He has won a great victory over death. So that's the second reason to rely upon God. And notice the language there in verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. It's deliver, deliver, deliver. It's, a, it's, it's what God does to set our hope and our faith upon him and him alone. No reliance anywhere else. And then verse 11, just the last thing. You also, here's where the church of God, the saints, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We know that God is sovereign over all things. And he sometimes does things and gives things and gives relief even when his people don't pray. Right? He does, he does that. He's, he's, he's merciful and gracious that way. But it is true, and he teaches us this in his word, that he often blesses through the prayers of God's people. He uses the means of prayer. That is why people, we must pray. We must pray. Uh, the, the reading the other day that, 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 that some of these mercies, some of these comforts of God, uh, sometimes God, God's people don't have because they won't pray. And the Lord withholds 
because they don't pray. We kind of think, well, we'll pray, but then we'll do these other things. No, prayer is actually the very center here. You help us by prayer. And then what does that turn to? So that many will give thanks on our behalf. Who will they give thanks to? To the Lord. You prayed. The Lord answered. And then the response is what? Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. We, we live in this supernatural world where God intervenes by his spirit. He answers the prayers of his people. He really does. That's why when you and I pray, we ought to write down what we're praying and expect that God is going to answer. He may not answer in the way that you think he will answer. He's a little bit independent that way. He answers in his own way, but he answers. He answers so that you will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And I don't, I don't pretend to know what the mathematics of that is. You know, how, how, how that actually works out. Prayer and God's blessing and the thanksgiving and all. It's, it, in many ways, it's a mystery. But I do know that the Apostle Paul absolutely depended on the people's prayers. And I think he would say now to us in heaven, I could not have made it without them. He knows something of the power of prayer. I know that phrase is kind of tossed around sometimes, maybe in non-theological ways even. But, but the Lord has said, I have given you this means to call upon me in, in, in prayer and that my blessing then flows through that channel right to the people that you have been praying for. It's true. It's true. How will we know that? By praying. By praying. Praying together. Praying independently. Praying for God's people. For the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And of course, the, the uh, result of that is glory to God. We don't rely upon ourselves. We rely upon him. So we go to him, we ask him, we plead with him, and he blesses, and we go, see, there it is. It's God. It's the glory of God. Prayer is a most trusting exercise, isn't it? It's, it's, we, we've come to the true prayer is coming to the end of ourselves, and we depend upon him. We offer our prayers to him. He invites us to pray actually commands us to pray for his people. So God's at the center of life. He's the God of all comfort. That's just who he is. That's his character is that he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And when God brings affliction we're meant to us, we're comforted by God and meant to then comfort others. I see, I've seen that so often in the Christian life where, where someone has been brought through a trial and they, and they know God's grace in it, they repent or, 
and they believe, and then they find themselves being useful uh, in God's service. That's how he works. That's how he operates. Do you see that in your own life? You should. You should. It's, it's a part of the Christian life that, that, I, that I'm a channel of comfort to my brothers and my sisters. We want to be that, don't we? We want to be useful in our time here upon the earth. Useful in witness, useful in evangelism, but useful in comfort to God's people as the Lord comforts us. Right? May God give us grace. Father, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. Where would we be without you? And Lord, we, we come to you with our questions and our perplexities and our don't knows. And, uh, but Lord, we, we just, we, it was to rely upon you, to lay ourselves uh, at your feet and to believe you, to trust you, to depend upon you in all of life. Would you make us to be a trusting people, a depending people? a comforting people, a believing people. Lord, help us uh, in these days and in days hereafter that you may do all your holy will among us, that you might, Lord, even in some strange way, uh, promote the spread of the gospel of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in these sad, sad days. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.